Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Thursday, October 19th. I'm Hannah Floor. It's not unusual in this state for one arm of the government to wrestle with the other. But when one sues the other, as federal wildlife managers did over the state's management of subsistence fishing, it takes the fight to a new level. The Alaska Federation of Natives has sided with the federal government and made its case to tribal leaders at a conference it held in Anchorage yesterday, a day ahead of the start of its its annual convention. As Rhonda McBride reports, the tribal conference has set the stage for a bigger conversation at AFN. Yupik elders in southwest Alaska have a saying that if you fight over fish, they'll go away. And after decades of battles between the state and federal government, they seem to be right. This latest fish fight involves the Kuskokwim River, and as the salmon runs dwindle, the battles seem to get bigger. Since the 1970s, the two branches of government have wrestled over whether rural Alaskans have a priority for subsistence in times of shortage. Battles, attorney Heather Kendall Miller says, Alaska natives have fought in the courts and won. And now, old issues have returned with a vengeance. So unfortunately, we're back where we were, the 90s. And that's not a great place to be in, simply because all it does It fights for the established system, and that system is dual management, which has never been sufficient to protect subsistence uses. As federal and state managers have feuded over a rural subsistence priority and whether those rights extend to the state's navigable waters, Kendall Miller says the problems are much worse now. It's a emergency of huge proportions out there. Testimony at the AFN Tribal Conference from subsistence harvesters like Elizabeth Kuchak prove her point. When we gotta work hard just for gas below, and I just go home with just a few fish from my freezer, and then when I share with elders that can't make it out, and I can't share, that hurts too. The fish that I eat. It's not a state fish, it's not a federal fish, but a human fish. Tom Tilden, a subsistence hunter and fisherman from the Bristol Bay region, says it's time for Alaska natives to once again rally and fight to protect the federal rural subsistence priority. We don't want to hunt and eat and gather and be hunted by one of the organizations that has supposedly jurisdiction over our right to eat. We don't want to go back to that way of life. Kendall Miller says a recent U.S. Supreme Court decision in favor of a moose hunter's right to use a hovercraft in waters that run through a federal wildlife refuge is being used by the state to bolster its arguments against federal control over subsistence fisheries. Kendall Miller told the tribal gathering that while the federal government's lawsuit could go all the way to the high court, there's a lot of risk involved. We've got some strong arguments, which I hope will prevail. But as a realist, I know that this court is very fractured. And it's not a place that any litigant really wants to be if you're concerned about rights. AFN's president, Julie Kitka, says... Congress may not be much help in defending federal laws that protect a rural priority for subsistence because they are also fractured with deep political divisions and preoccupied with wars and big issues like climate change. 
Tribal leaders were told it may be an old battle, but to brace for new realities. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. Petersburg's Medical Center has brought back colonoscopy services after a five-year pause. And as KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports, some residents are excited and relieved that they won't have to travel far away from home to prepare and recover from the exam. <laughs> Jennifer Briner is the chief nursing officer at Petersburg's hospital. She's giving me the grand tour of all the brand new equipment in the colonoscopy room. This is really cool, and this is this is where the magic happens, I guess. Yeah, this is the, yeah. I gotta ask: Is the monitor like in view if they like woke up? Yeah, absolutely. The person lies generally on their left side, and this is right in front of them, so people aren't sleepy and they can watch the whole procedure. Petersburg resident Chris Morrison was at the front of the line for the inaugural clinic. He says he was number two, though Briner couldn't confirm if that's true, but she said it was certainly possible. Morrison actually did wake up during the procedure, his very first colonoscopy. He says it was weird, but that he was in a happy place. I woke up through part of it, but I was happy, and they were very professional, and um, the gals did a great job. And Morrison is even happier about the results. He's in good health. Chris's wife, also named Chris Morrison, is the president of Petersburg Indian Association, the local tribe. Her first colonoscopy experience wasn't so peaceful or routine. In January of 2018, she was diagnosed with stage 2 colon cancer. Morrison was 58 at the time of her diagnosis, and by that time, she was long overdue for her first exam. When I was in my 40s, I remember a co-worker who was 10 years older than I was going through the process here in Petersburg, and I did not want to talk about it because it frankly seemed kind of gross. So I didn't think about it. So I did not have a colonoscopy at the age of 50, as was the recommendation when I was diagnosed with stage two colon cancer. Had I had a colonoscopy at the recommended age eight years earlier, that might have been prevented. She was medevaced to Anchorage for complications, and because Alaska Native Medical Center is in charge of her care, though she's grateful for the care she received there, she says it would have been nice to be able to recover at home rather than in a hotel away from family. Petersburg residents haven't been able to get colonoscopies in town since 2018. PMC's visiting colonoscopy specialist, Dr. Eric Garcia, was killed by his friend and romantic partner the year before. His killer was found guilty of first- and second-degree murder in June of this year. Someone stepped in for him to perform that service for a short period of time, but Reiner says Garcia's death is what initially halted services, and her team is still mourning the loss of their colleague. Dr. Garcia, who was the most wonderful man you could meet and an excellent surgeon, uh, we worked with him for... I don't know, probably eight or nine years, um, and just loved him. And, oh, yeah, I'll never forget the day I got a call from Ketchikan saying that he had been murdered. And um, so that put a pause on our scopes. But um, Dr. David Miller from Juneau was kind enough. He heard about it, and he said he would step in for a year. After Miller's term was up, 
the COVID-19 pandemic hit, which derailed PMC's efforts to fully restart the service. Now that scoping is back on track, Morrison wants to use her voice as a local leader to encourage more public awareness about early detection and destigmatize the exam. I shared some of my experiences. There were a couple of uncomfortable looks on people's faces initially, but the more I spoke about it and didn't shy away from the topic, the more relaxed they seemed to be about it. Alaska Native people get more colorectal cancer than other ethnicities. A worldwide study showed that indigenous Alaskans had the highest documented rate in the world in 2018. Briner says Petersburg's chemotherapy unit sees a lot of colorectal cancer cases. It's one of those topics that people are kind of shy away from talking about sometimes, but it is. It's, it's certainly one of the most prevalent cancers that we have seen as people doing chemotherapy and treatment for cancer in Petersburg. So it's definitely one of the top three cancers that we're seeing nationwide. She says she's sympathetic to people who are hesitant to get checked out. PrEP is the worst part. Patients can only drink clear fluids for two days before the procedure to flush out their whole colon. That's so the surgeon can have a good view of any abnormalities. But that's the worst part because they're pretty much, you know, on the toilet for <laughs> for several hours at night. So that that's absolutely the worst part. And then being hungry. She says a lot of her patients find it vastly more comfortable to prepare for the exam at home rather than in an unfamiliar place far away, like a hotel. And around town... The hype for colonoscopies is growing. PMC had 18 patients at their first clinic, which is a lot more than they usually see. Our anticipation is that for the next clinic, we'll do 21 patients. Unfortunately, we have about two full clinics already on our wait list. Um, so, but if people are interested, they should, you know, notify their primary care provider and they can, if they're appropriate to have the procedure done in Petersburg, they can at least get them on our list. The latest guidelines for colorectal cancer prevention say that everyone should get screened after the age of 45 or earlier if you have a family history. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Alaska's Food Assistance Program has processed the oldest applications from a backlog plaguing the state for more than a year. but applicants are still facing months-long delays. The State Division of Public Assistance administers the federally funded Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, which served about 90,000 Alaskans last year, about 12% of the state's population. In April of 2023, when the backlog was at its worst, thousands were waiting for help buying food, some for as long as eight months. Public Assistance Director Deb Etheridge says the division has hired more people to process applications. She says the Federal Food and Nutrition Service that oversees the program wanted the state to prioritize the oldest applications and renewals. We had some guidance from FNS where they really strongly recommended that we focus on the original backlog because some of those cases were very old. So we did, we attacked, we got rid of the old backlog on September 1st, and then that unfortunately created sort of a newer backlog. Etheridge says the current processing wait is about three months, but anyone who qualifies for an expedited application, including those with very low disposable income or, a- or assets, will be processed quicker. Etheridge says applications in what she calls the new backlog are easier to process because the applicant's information is more often up to date. People are less likely to have moved or changed jobs in the time they've been waiting. And she says there are now two teams managing applications and renewals. 
One is working on the current paperwork, and the other is dedicated to the backlog. Etheridge would not offer a guess on how long it might take to get through all of the 8,500 pending applications and renewals, but she says the backlog team is processing about 500 cases per week. We're just really laser-focused on getting through our backlog, and we're committed to problem-solving so we're not in this situation again. Etheridge says the department is creating an online application for SNAP, which they plan to start using in December. She thinks that will help make applications easier to process because people will be less likely to skip required fields in an, in an online form. The department also plans to create an online client portal to manage applications. Eventually, Etheridge says, that will help make back-and-forth communication more transparent. A 6.4-magnitude earthquake struck 22 miles north of Adak early Monday morning and was felt by residents in both Adak and Adka. The deep earthquake hit just after 3.30 a.m. At this time, there have been no reports of property damage, but residents said they were woken up by the shaking. Elizabeth Nadine is communications manager at the Alaska Earthquake Center. She says Alaska experiences thousands of earthquakes every year. There's an earthquake every three to five minutes in Alaska, a felt earthquake, which is a magnitude three and a half or above, happens regularly in Alaska. Nadine says Alaska's position atop two tectonic plates, the North American plate and the Pacific plate, makes it particularly susceptible to earthquakes. She says the Pacific plate slides beneath the North American plate, causing stress and strain that results in earthquakes of varying magnitudes. An earthquake could happen anywhere on the top of the Pacific Plate, down underneath the North American Plate, down to a depth of hundreds of kilometers because it's bending and cracking as it moves down what we call the subduction zone. Nadine says earthquakes are normal in the Aleutian Islands, but they are unpredictable. She says it's important to have safety plans in place as earthquakes are inevitable.